everyone, and welcome to Angel Talk, Reflections of an Ambitious Angel Mom. My name is Philip Kerrigan. I'm the executive director of Raise for Rowan. We are the organization that assists families who are suffering through the tragic loss of a child with funeral cost assistance and emotional support. I am joined by, as always, the ambitious angel mom herself. Say hello to the people, Bryn. Hello, everybody. Hello, Philip. How are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm Good. doing well. Uh, so we actually weren't going to do this podcast this week. We, we had talked about doing something like this down the road, but a fairly significant event happened last week, and it prompted a lot of conversation within the office and then even on our angel page. So we figured we'd actually talk about it today yeah. instead. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, a fairly famous basketball player named Kobe Bryant uh, died last week in a helicopter crash last Sunday uh, when he and his uh, 13-year-old daughter and seven others, including two other teenage girls, were on a helicopter that crashed in the hills in Southern California. Uh, everyone on the helicopter perished, and it really set off sort of a almost like a national dialogue, really if did. you will, around yeah. grief that this very public figure went through, this father. Um, and for us, it really opened up a dialogue here internally, and it really brought up two things. The first is sort of how universal loss is and how universal the feelings are associated with loss. It doesn't matter what your skin color is, doesn't matter what your politics are, who you voted for, how much money you have, where you come from. If loss happens in your life, you will not be able to outrun it and you won't be able to outspend it. You will have to deal with the grief in front of you. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the second thing it brought up was his wife and his other three daughters and how they're going to be having to go through something that is the subject of today's podcast, and that is grieving in public. Uh, so she has this other element to her life. Not only does she have to grieve for the loss of her husband and the loss of one of her daughters, but she also has to do that in a very, very public arena because of the high-profile nature of her husband. Yeah. And so I think that we think, oh, well, It'll be really hard and we won't experience anything like she experienced. But the reality is, as we started to talk about it, everybody kind of deals with having to put on a public face and go back out after loss. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm excited that we can actually talk about that because like Philip had just mentioned, you know, you can't nobody is ever prepared for this. It doesn't matter if right. you, you know, are wealthy or if you are poor or what your skin color is. I mean, when grief hits you and your family, you just really, we're all feeling the same emotions. Exactly. Of grief. Exactly. So we're all enduring that same pain yep. um, all over the world. So yeah, you cannot make enough money to outspend it and you cannot run fast enough to outrun it. Yeah. Uh, you will feel the feelings that everybody feels that comes with, with, with this sort of loss, which is so powerful. I've never yeah. really thought about it until this tragedy happened. Yeah. And then you think about it and you're like, wow, it just, it happens to, it can happen to anybody right. and everybody. I mean, it's just, it's unpredictable. Yeah. And to watch and, you know, as I, I am personally a sports fan. And so as you watch, and in particular a basketball fan, and as you watch uh, folks within this sort of basketball world that you really only watch for entertainment, go through this very, very real life grief and real life emotion you really start to think, oh my goodness, this this is these are emotions that everyone has to deal with yeah. in the face of something like this. 
And now, a double whammy, too, for her, not only losing a child, but losing her husband. Husband at the same time. So after, you know, we started talking about this in the office, really just trying to wrap my head around, well, gosh, she's already grieving the loss of her child, but she's now also grieving the loss of her husband. Yeah. Who, you know, would be probably her support system and her rock if they had lost a child together, right. but he's no longer there. Yeah. So I can't even wrap my head around that of yes. like the dual whammy of she's missing both. That's right. Like what a horrific tragedy. Yeah. I can't I imagine the pain she's going through. It's super tough to think about. My heart goes out to her yeah. and it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, so we're not going to talk about uh, – we are not a sports podcast, so we're not going to talk about <laughs> yeah. Kobe Bryant's sports legacy. We're not even really going to talk about the off-the-court stuff. I mean, he has a – you know, he can have a fairly complicated legacy as a human being, as do most of us probably at the end of the day, if you were to look back on your life. We are going to focus on what his wife and three daughters uh, and those friends around him are going through right now. And we're going to do it through the lens of Bryn's experience when she had to kind of go back out into the public, put back on a public face. And uh, even with the grief that she still had, you have to make appearances. You have to go out. You have to you have to shop. You know what I mean? Like living so, your life. Yeah. You have to go back to living a life at yeah. some point. Yeah. yeah. So that's how we're going to do this. Are you okay with that, Bryn? Yeah. Well, that's good because otherwise we'd have ended the podcast right there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, right off the bat, one of the things that I don't think a lot of people know about, even though, I mean, for crying out loud, it's nowhere near the scope of of the coverage that came with Kobe Bryant. Your your loss actually made the news. Um, Do you do you remember how it felt to have the initial accident so public? Yeah. um, Actually, within. You know, uh, not even that long, a few hours after my daughter's passing, we had helicopters flying over our house. Crazy. Um, and news newscasters and phone calls. And, um, you know, you're in shutdown mode. Yeah. So I just know for me and my husband, we were both, I think, angry. Mm-hmm. I know my husband kind of handled it in anger. Like, what in the hell are they doing here? Because right. they're, like, flying over our personal, our private property, like, yeah. filming. And, Unbelievable. Um, I think you just feel invaded, you know, and if obviously in my situation, it was a very sudden accident and and tragedy. And I think obviously there's child loss in so many different aspects, but the way I think stories were getting wrote and then the things that a lot of the media portrayed sometimes weren't accurate. Hmm. Some stories were and some weren't, but I just remember feeling, you know, all of the emotions, you feel hurt, you feel sad, you feel judged, um, ashamed. I I didn't want to go out in public because I felt like, oh my gosh, like that news story didn't even say the details that happened. I mean, they even had, I I had to slow down even watching it or hearing it and you're in such a daze anyway. But when you're hearing false accusations or things that they speculate happened. Really? And and it's like, well, they don't even know the story. The only people that know the story were the people that were there that day. And, um, you know, I did me and Cassie had made that decision to write it in a book because we we kind of did get tired of all the speculation right. and people asking what happened. So it's like, well, here you go. This yeah. is what happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously we've shared it bits and pieces over the years as well. But yeah, when it, when you're at least even not expecting it, it's a sudden tragedy like that, and then all of a sudden you're swarmed mm-hmm. by media, and um, you know we're in just a small town, not even 
remotely comparable to like being in LA. And, right, right. You know, this media uh, capital. Here I am, a normal yeah. person. I don't live in the public eye. Mm-hmm. So then to have everything very much on display was you go through a mix of emotions. I didn't yeah. want to leave the house because yeah. I was embarrassed. And, you know, you, I think, feel a lot of judgment on, yeah. you know, who is at fault. And, um, yeah, I, definitely wanted to just recluse for a long time. Did you get uh did you get phone calls asking for comments? I mean, are those some of the things that you experienced? Was it that invasive? Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. I mean, right away. And <clears throat> we denied a lot uh for for quite a while and then me and my husband kind of I don't remember, maybe it was King 5 or something we did an interview with uh about a week later. And I don't even know how we did it. My, yeah. It's like when he, when I would be low, he my husband would have the strength. And he yeah. was like, well, we're just going to do it because we're going to set the record straight. And we also wanted to say thank you. I remember a big reason we wanted to actually do some of the um, interviews was to say thank you to our community right. because we did get such an outpouring of love and support from right. our local communities that we did want to actually say, hey, thank you. Like this is our situation and thank you so much for all your support because it meant a lot to us. But yeah. Um, I think the media can be good and the media can be bad because they can portray it however they want to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They don't have to always portray the truth. They can portray it however they want. So it can be a positive experience or a negative one. And I think I've had a mixture of both. But but in the beginning when you're going through that, it's it's really hard to – yeah, you feel invaded. Yeah. Your privacy is invaded for yeah. sure. So uh, how long did it take you to finally uh, decide that you were going to take a step out? You were going to be – you are going to uh, go out in public. You were comfortable with it. Uh, how long from the accident to when you were out and about? Well, it took a lot of time. Um, I didn't actually drive on my own for about three months mm. after my daughter passed. I think everybody obviously experiences grief differently, but for me, I felt really helpless and not in control of my own emotions. Mm -hmm. So let alone, I did not want to be in control of driving a car. Yeah. So I didn't go too many places for, you know, three, four months. Um, I did go to the places I had to, um, funeral home, not the fun places, (laughs) you know, Um, but thankfully I had a lot of people surrounding me to help me, you know, drive me around and Mm -hmm. take me places and stuff. But when I did, I would say start coming back into the community in town, I would actually really try to disguise myself. Oh, wow, and, really? Yeah, um, because I wouldn't want to talk about it. I was so afraid if I went into the grocery store that somebody was going to stop me and want to give me a hug even just to support yeah. me because yeah. they want to obviously offer condolences. But I wasn't stable enough to get that hug because yeah. I would have lost it. And, you know, and that did happen many a times. Yeah. So and it, and it happened even, you know, a few years later where you're – still just maybe having a rough day and you're not at a stable point and somebody might be like, oh, you're uh, Rowan's mom. Yeah. You're, you're Bryn or I saw your story yeah. on the news or I saw read about yeah. your story in your book or it's – it's you just never can prepare yourself if you're taken off guard in, right. in a weak moment. Right. So, yeah, it took a really long time. Yeah. It really did because you can't predict grief and yeah. what, what kind of day you're having. So, um. I obviously live a normal life now, five years later, where I feel comfortable going to the grocery store and getting mm-hmm. my hair done and doing things like that. But um, I definitely took a long time to come back into yeah. regular, like, going to town to do normal activities because yeah. you just feel vulnerable. Um, I think some of our listeners might know, but I worked 
at a salon here in town when my daughter passed. So I obviously worked in a very public job mm-hmm. where I had not only my clients coming in, but I also worked in a busy salon where I had my coworkers' clients coming in. Right. And um, I even was so, I just felt so like almost a fish in a fishbowl where like yeah. everybody's watching me, mm-hmm. um, like how I'm doing. And um, we do live in a small community. So I felt like everybody must know and everybody must speculate. And, and that's probably your own worst, you know, demons like taking over too, because mm-hmm. your mind wanders. And um, I ended up a- actually starting to work from home because I just felt really uncomfortable being yeah. out in the public. Right. You know, I just, I didn't want to talk about it with, you know, people, if I wasn't prepared. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So then I started working from home after my daughter passed. I think I went back to the salon for a little bit of time and I just, it was really emotional yep. and really draining because you're trying to keep it in and not be a hot bubbling right, boiling right. mess everywhere you go, you know, right. because we have to clearly go to work and function as yeah. adults. And that's really hard to do when you're, you know, you've just lost a child. You yeah. are still so emotional. So yeah. Uh, it is, it's, it's really hard to go back into the public yeah. and face people every day. And that, that's so interesting to me because that common thread is going to be there even for say Kobe Bryant's wife and the mother of her oh, daughter, sure. right? Because yeah. she's in a different type of fishbowl where, where you were very much in a small town. So everybody knew about it, mm-hmm. right? But she has the same concepts working for her. Everybody knows about it because yeah. everybody, I mean, it's all, it was on the news for, yeah. for eight straight hours. So it'll be, it's that part for her, she will be going through the same type of things. Oh, um, times 20, I'm sure. And one of the questions that comes up for me is, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I feel like there's really two things. Number one, it's the idea that if I go out in public, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to handle myself. I'm going to break down in the middle of aisle seven and I'm not even going to be able to get everything I was here to shop for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the other one seems to be this notion for me uh, where, but what if I look like I have it too much together? Yeah. And people are going to think, wow, she just got over that that fast? How how dare she? Blah, blah, blah. Did you ever feel that too? Maybe like yeah, it's if a I go out. Sword. Yeah. 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 For sure. And, you know, it's hard because I feel like there's always going to be people that, are critical over how you're handling your grief. Yeah. And those are usually the people that have never experienced Have no it. idea what yeah. they're talking about. <laughs> so um, I've chalked it up to that, and uh-huh. it's taken me a lot of time to not worry about it as much. Mm-hmm. But it still affects you. You know, you don't want people just assuming since you have a smile on your face or you said that hello. That everything's cool. That, you're good. Like, my heart is just healed, and I'm yeah. just perfect now. It's like, no, I'm actually still really hurt inside. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it's, it's definitely challenging. Because, That's really interesting. And you don't want to go out and be a hot mess everywhere you go either. Right. Because who wants to do that? You don't. Yeah. So, no, it is – it's consuming to think about it all the time. I know. It's almost like its own thing that would dry dry your energy is to think about how you'll be thought about in right. a weird way. It's, it's very weird. It's challenging. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it even affected my family members because I remember, um, you know, for months and months, social media was obviously very involved in yep. my situation and, mm-hmm. and the loss of my daughter. And a lot of it very positive and supportive and a lot of it negative, which... Which is also unbelievable. It, it hurt really bad. Yeah. So um, I just stopped reading comments. Sure. Um, because it was so hurtful. Um, but my family members would be so protective, like, 
oh my gosh, this person, I just blah, blah, blah. You know, they yeah. wrote something really horrible. mean and horrible. Yeah. And um, I just got to a place where I was like, don't read them anymore. Yeah. It's okay. Like, yeah. yeah. It's okay. Little like, tip to the people posting things on social media. Maybe not. Maybe don't do it. If you haven't gone through it yourself, you may yeah. not know what you're talking about. So yeah. shut up. So shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it's funny. So uh, when you're ready to go out, this kind of question centers around you're getting ready. You're 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 actually literally getting the energy up to go do these activities. What are you thinking about? As you start to go out, do you really, do you literally go through it in your head? Like, well, if I run into somebody, mm-hmm. how am I going to have that conversation? Is it just that, is that kind of how it felt when you were first getting out there? Well, I actually didn't get to that point for quite a while of mm. actually being prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something I'd like to add as a tip for, for okay. newly grieving parents. Um, in the beginning, you know, I didn't have a game plan. I would go when I started going out, like to the grocery store and yeah. stuff. I'd typically have a breakdown and not be prepared if somebody mm. were to ask me a question or or recognize me and be like, oh, you're the, you know, lady from Tonino that lost your daughter. Or um, one situation when I, I remember the grocery store was just the hardest place for me to start going. And it was right. because I would typically have Rowan with me. So I was used to grocery shopping with my daughter. And um, of course, she was spoiled, so we would go pick out a new outfit every oh, time we'd go to Fred Meyer. Nice, that nice. was like our routine. I'd get some groceries. Yeah. We'd go get a new shirt or new yeah. something for for her um, at Fred Meyer. And the first time I went grocery shopping alone without her, mm. I had the biggest breakdown at really? Fred Meyer, and I could not even grocery shop. I was by myself roaming around the baby clothes. Oh, my gosh. Crying, sobbing. Yeah. And people were staring at me. Yeah. And I literally, I was just trying to suck it up enough to like make it through the store to get out. Yeah. Um, but I didn't obviously end up purchasing any groceries or anything that day. But I literally couldn't even make it through one shopping trip. Yeah. So that was the biggest challenge. But now what I've learned that has helped me over the years is I prepare myself for, mm. for everything. Whether I may be out at like a luncheon mm. or you know, just prepare yourself because people still ask questions. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions that was a huge trigger for me in the beginning that I've prepared myself for over the years is how many children do you have? Mm-hmm. Because everybody in a casual conversation starts out. Yeah, they know, ask. Who, oh, so how many kids do you have? Yeah, yeah. Super harmless question, right? Mm-hmm. Well, to a parent that's lost a child, you're like dreading that question. Right. How do I answer that question? Right. What do I say? You know, I'm not ever going to leave that child out that may not be here with me. Yeah. You know, so you run through all the scenarios. Like, but then if I say I have three children and then they ask more details, then I have to talk about it more. Yeah. So do I just answer two? Well, no, that feels horrible because I'm not right, going to leave her out. Right, because I'm leaving one out. Yeah. yeah. So I think you do whatever is best for you, but I prepared myself for that question and I actually have like kind of a rehearsed answer now. Yeah. Um, where I just am very matter of factly like, you know, I have three children. And then they usually ask, well, how old are they? Mm-hmm. And I say, I have, you know, an eight-year-old. I have one that would be uh, six, but she passed away at 17 months old. And I have a four-year-old. Mm-hmm. And then usually when you say you have one that passed, they typically, uh, you know, they kind of shut down and get nervous. Yeah, they because don't, they're like, yeah, oh, my gosh, what yeah. do I say now? So it's kind of worked for me where they don't ask any more questions right, about that. They right. just say, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah. Um, and, and that's been a great way for me to kind of end the conversation with, you know, I do have three. I'm still acknowledging that I had three 
ones in heaven. Yeah. Um, and I think you just rehearse it until you feel comfortable with it. But you're always going to get asked those random questions where they might knock the wind out of you. Yeah. And those questions that knock the wind out of you, when you're ready, just start preparing, like, what could your answer be? Yeah. So it kind of becomes a little rehearsed, but mm-hmm. it's helped me not be taken off guard. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. when you're taken off guard, that's when usually you're like. That's when it, I imagine the emotions just sneak up oh, on you. Yeah, the emotions yeah. hit and you could be like blubbering mess yeah. in Fred Meyer, right. for example. So yeah. I think for me, as I've just learned what questions really are a trigger, I've just rehearsed my answers. Yeah. So I feel like, okay, well, I'm prepared if somebody's going to ask me that no matter where I'm at. Yeah. In a public setting, a work setting, you know, whatever. You just, I think, have an answer that you feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So Good tip. Always go out with a plan. I like that tip. Yeah. yeah. And now it's just my everyday life. Yeah. So it's not as um, painful to right. answer it as it was, you know, five years ago. Yeah. Because I was unprepared and it was like a fresh wound. Yeah. Where, yeah. where now I'm like, I can answer that without a tear coming to my eye. Yeah. And I... You know, that's just my answer. Yeah. Yeah. Good tip. Yeah. Uh, So we, today, we're going to do another quote of the day, and we're going to actually have a little twist to it. Typically, uh, I am asking Bryn or one of our special guests to provide the quote, but I have the privilege of providing a quote (laughs) today. Um, Kobe Bryant was a very quotable uh, individual. He had a lot of quotes on leadership, on greatness, on being prepared, on working super hard. He was a pretty quotable guy. And so today's quote of the day, I thought would only be apropos to go with a quote from Kobe Bryant. I like it. Um, he, He had a quote on perseverance, which I thought really encapsulated kind of what we always talk about every week in these podcasts. And um, here it is. Be sad. Be mad. Be frustrated. Scream, cry, sulk. When you wake up, you will think it was just a nightmare, only to realize it's all too real. You will be angry and wish for the day back, the game back, that play back. But reality never gives in, and neither should you. From Kobe Bryant. I like it. That was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, So getting back into some of your experiences, as you began to make some decisions in your life to honor Rowan, you you really made a decision pretty early on that you were going to do something actually fairly public in nature to honor her, starting the nonprofit, writing the book, the Ambitious Angel Mom book, going on some fairly significant network TV talk shows, uh, getting interviewed for Glamour Magazine. So you, you, you are dealing with your loss and honoring Rowan in a very public way. Um, what was that like to, number one, make that decision to go public with it? And what was it like to actually execute that, to do it in public the way you did? Well, I can say that um, it wasn't always an easy decision. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, I do feel like everything that led me down this path was like coming from God. Mm. Is the only way I can put it because I uh, was very, very led and driven by my faith um, along this whole journey. And it's definitely paved my way because Mm -hmm. I don't think I was a strong enough person to ever do it without God and having faith in that. But so I can say that was always a deciding factor for me. So like when I was approached by Dr. Phil or Glamour or any kind of news related 
type things, I would always pray about it. And I would obviously console with Cassie, who joined me on pretty much everything major that we've done in the past. Yeah. Um, and then my husband as well. And I think if it felt right to all of us, mm-hmm. it was a go. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was questions, you know, we would kind of just say, we need some more time to think about this yeah. and and pray about it because it is such a sensitive deal and it's our lives. So it's not like it was something super easy to just be like, yep, I'm just putting it all out there. And, you know, I think we all prepared ourselves for possible negative feedback, which right. you, you get with anything yeah. and everything you may do. Once you go out in the public sphere, you will get yeah, both. You yeah, you do. So it was it was a little challenging. Um, at the end of the day, I know that it helped a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think breaking the silence of, you know, there's a stigma that you can't talk about child loss. Yeah. And that's what it has been yeah. from here, you know, from all the past. And like a lot of moms have told me, like, yeah. thank you for finally breaking that cycle because you, you can talk about it right. where, you know, 10 plus years ago, people never talked about it. I know, it. I know. Like it just wasn't uh, allowed. Yeah. You move on, you yeah. move forward. Right. Um, and that's obviously created trauma for all these families that have already suffered the loss of a right. child from, yeah. you know, here on up. So how did your husband react to the thought that you were, that this was how you were going to bring meaning to, to Rowan's passing? Was he on board initially or was he, did he feel like, Hey, you know, this is awfully public. We're going to have to, litigate some of our feelings out in public. How did he feel about it? I think it's been a roller coaster ride for sure mm-hmm. for both of us, but he's always supported yeah. my decisions, which has really been great. Um, and I do think he sees the people that it helps and that it affects. So mm. he's obviously not running the nonprofit or yeah, he helping doesn't, with he it. He doesn't involve himself day no. to day. No, he doesn't. But he's also said, you know, it. it's – can be so challenging at times, but at the same time, he's really proud of the way that cool. uh, I'm honoring Rowan and that everybody here at Race for Rowan is honoring her. And cool. it makes him proud and he's happy with what we're doing. Yeah. And I'm not going to say it's been an easy road because yeah. there's been times where I'm like, it's so emotional. Like I need, you know, support from him Yeah. because it's, it's a very, uh, it's a fun job and it's a rewarding job, but it's a very emotional yeah, job. Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially when it's like, because I lost my daughter. So yeah. it's like, well, it's so emotional. But, um, you know, he always kind of lifts me back up when I'm like, should I be doing this? Like, I feel, you know, mentally drained. And I think he is really proud of everything that's happened and yeah. how the nonprofit's grown and how many families we've helped. And, you know, we see it firsthand in our community. So I think that's been huge, too, just yeah. to actually know and witness some of the families that we've helped. And that's been big for him. So you end up so you end up getting a call from Dr. Phil. You end up doing Glamour magazine. You do these very like high profile big time sort of things. It's crazy. Yeah, I, they always call it weird times too. <laughs> they sure do. Like they I sure want to say uh, Dr. <laughs> Phil aired while I was in labor with my Unbelievable. Third child. I was in labor. Yeah. People and I'm like, "Can you please turn on the television? I would like to watch Dr. Phil because I'm airing right now." Right. And the nurses are looking at me like, "Uh, okay, lady. All right." Would you like wow. an epidural now? Yes, I'd yeah. like an epidural yeah. and Dr. Phil to be on. I mean, it's just bizarre, right? Like, Can I get you anything else? Ice chips? No, just Dr. Phil. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty bizarre. See, that's pretty funny. It is funny. Um, when when you decide that you're going to do these sort of things, um, is, there, is there a line that you look at and you say, uh, I'm not going to cross this line. I'm not going to talk about this thing. 
Um, or were you a little bit like you are here on these podcasts where you're just like, oh, I'm just going to be super duper open about it all. Um, you, this was a kind of earlier in the phase of you grieving. Did you decide, hey, look, there's just some things I'm not going to talk about? Yeah, I still don't like to ever really talk about the actual accident. Sure. I mean, that's pretty tough. Yeah. And they, uh, unfortunately, they want to. Like, the, sh- the story has to be shared. Yeah. but and, and to give folks a little background, it's because you and Cassie decided together to start this nonprofit. Yeah, we did. And, and so I think the big story there that is great for the quote-unquote narrative is that these two best friends, one of whom, you know, was uh, the driver in the accident, so mm-hmm. to speak. They reconciled, and they and there's all this forgiveness and all these sort of things. But I don't think they they understand that like Cassie has her own set of feelings yeah. involved, and yeah. she didn't always like maybe being the bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and it was. It, we've definitely we've stuck by each other's side. In yeah, that, that's where been it's the like, coolest thing is to watch. We're not going to talk yeah. about. You know, like yeah. and and I. Don't want to. We neither. We're on the same page. We don't yeah. want to talk about the horrible, horrific things. Yeah. So we haven't. But we've also, I feel like, both been very open about our experience. Yeah. And um, our feelings, and we've shared the story in a way where I feel like we only want the positive to come out of it. Right. Where we are, we are sharing our journey to hopefully help somebody else. Yeah. Um, because her role is obviously way different than mine. And her story is so different than mine, but that's hers to share. But anytime she has shared her side, she's done it, I believe, out of she wants to help other people as sure. well. Because there's so many, you know, other people that have faced similar situations. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just as painful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a. I mean, I, I don't know how you guys did it. I don't know how you guys... Because I would have been like, if somebody asked me, well, where's the line? Well, talking about any of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I have days where I'm like, nope, not doing it today. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then I have days where I wake up and I'm like, I feel strong enough to share mm-hmm. this. Yeah. But, you know, if you hit me on the wrong day, you, you won't yeah. get any of it. <laughs> well, that, that does actually lead me to a question. So there obviously are days that you just want to shut the world out and you don't want to talk about it. And you don't want to share the story at all. And yet you have this nonprofit, which most of the way folks connect to Raise for Rowan is through your own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you do that? What do you do on those days where you're like, I'm just not in the mood to talk about this at all? Yeah, I, I've had many of them. And like sharing this journey through this podcast with you guys, um, it does get easier to I think, manage day-to-day life as time goes on. So five years later, I think I've realized now for me, being able to be in the office and present with Race for Rowan and dealing with grief a few days a week is like max capacity for me. Mm -hmm. So the rest of the week I do um, either work from home Mm -hmm. or I try to carve out time to do other things that are creative or, you know, stuff that is, um, I guess, less mentally stimulating. Yeah, 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 <laughs> that yeah, yeah, sounds like yeah. an appropriate way to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, it's okay to shut the world out. And I did do that until I got to this point, like when I was working for the nonprofit full time and it was really draining and hard, mm-hmm. I, I would get to a place where I'd kind of hit a wall where I'm like, I just yeah. have to turn the phone off. And I would. And thankfully, I've always had people that supported me in that where yeah. um, they just know, like, you know, Brian needs a few days or you know, like the anniversaries, like how we've talked about triggers and dates where it's like, I just mm-hmm. can't do anything. Yeah. Um, I would kind of just prepare my team or who, whoever 
that has to do with, you know, race for own or the loss and stuff that I can't mentally uh, handle anything else on my plate for this amount of time. And and it's been nice that I feel supported in that. But Mm -hmm. I think for others, you know, no matter what your job is or your profession is, I think if you have the ability to take a few mental health days here or there when you need to for Mm -hmm. especially those trigger dates um, to do so because – I think your body just needs to recoup and, um, and your, your mind, mm-hmm. your mind, body, soul, it just needs like a few days to yeah. get back in order and come back and be prepared to face the next week. But right. yeah, I've definitely had my times where I shut everybody out and I don't know if that's right or wrong, but it's always helped me, I think, recharge mm-hmm. and just even to stay off social media for a day or two. Yep. Um, and that's, that's hard to do good too. for life. Yeah. <laughs> Right, I know. We don't need to know what's going on on Facebook today. Right. But it's hard. I mean, you get addicted to that. And then, um, but I do know when I shut it out for a few days, it's like, oh, I feel so much better. Yeah. Just feel recharged. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What are some of the things you would recommend to people who maybe are worried about going out in public um, after their loss? If if uh, number one, at the beginning, where they're very, very worried about it, but walk us through some of the things that you would recommend to people? Yeah, I just want to say again, at the end of the day, if you're fearing judgment um, from other people, they are most likely the people that have never experienced it firsthand. So Mm -hmm. if you are experiencing that, like that criticism and that judgment, and it's really getting to you, just remember they, thank God, don't know what you're going through. Right. And I just chalk it up to that. And that has helped me just... I think not care as much because you always want to, I guess, please people on yeah. how you're handling things. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you're never going to please everybody. So please yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And it's it's so hard to be vulnerable and you're fragile, you know, when you go out into the world. But think of all the kind people that are there to still support you. Yeah. So you know, if you're just starting out fresh in your grief, maybe don't face it alone. The mm-hmm. first trip to the grocery store without your baby or whatever, you know, take a friend or mm. take an aunt or take a mom or, yeah. you know, if you're not ready to do things by yourself, then Don't that's do fine. them by yourself. Yeah, yeah, bring a friend or, and every little thing is just, I remember, like a huge deal. So like even driving really? for the first time, I remember yeah. just being like terrified. Really? Yes. And my husband was like, oh, what, what? You can't even drive down the road. <laughs> like I remember our church, yeah. you know, New Day yeah. Christian Center, which is right around the corner from my house. I shout would, out Pastor Jim. Yep. Shout out to Pastor Jim. <laughs> I remember I wouldn't even drive to the church. It's wow. like less than a mile away. And yeah. my husband's, I think, was kind of getting annoyed with me. Like you really have to just do it, Bryn. Like I, you need to drive. Yeah. And he, he did. He kind of forced it upon me, but I drove down our road and- I cried and it was scary, mm. but it also broke the ice where I felt more comfortable to finally start mm. driving again. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just taking those big leaps, even if it's a baby step at a time. I mean, as long as you're out and you're doing and you're starting to regain that confidence in yourself and you'll have hard days and you'll have better days, but just keep going and ask for support mm-hmm. from the people, you know, around you and um, it will get easier. Yeah. And if people are judging you, then you don't need them. Don't listen to what they have to say. Yeah. They don't know what you're experiencing. It's it's unfortunate when people do that, but there's always people that do. Yep. So just, you know, all you can do is put one foot in front of the other and keep going and try to keep a positive attitude yeah. and do what's right for you and your family. And, um, and that's it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great tip. That's and make really your good angel tip. proud. Like I always yeah. say, your angel's watching. Yeah. So, you know, I always would think like, well, what what would Rowan want? from me you know like how would she want me to handle this situation mm -hmm. and i kind of felt like that was a guiding light of like well i want to make her proud yeah so she wouldn't be proud if i was just sitting in my closet yeah like i've been known to do and <laughs> cry yeah. in those beginning yeah. times you know yeah. she would want me to get out and start yeah. living life again so think of that like your angel is watching and they want you to be doing the best you can so yeah. very cool that's a good tip well thanks a couple of final thoughts on on everything as we talk about grieving through public. One of the things for me personally that I saw over the last week that I found interesting and something that um, was is would be really interesting to talk about is how many men dealt with this particular tragedy, wow. um, yeah. which I found really interesting. Not just um, those of us who are fans, where you're kind of reconciling your feelings for this person and how they were part of your childhood and you're nostalgic over it, but then also fellow basketball players. Lots of men crying, lots of men airing out their emotions, yeah. lots of men very uh, articulately talking about loss and grief. Uh, it was really right. fantastic to see a sport filled with usually pretty tough dudes kind of, you know, crying. During like yeah. moments of silence or things like that. So we don't see men get emotional very often. That's right. And when you do, it's like powerful. Yeah. And I think that that was really one of those where for men, it is okay to be emotional. Mm -hmm. It's all right for you. You're feeling things too. Don't worry about it. it. It's not even that embarrassing. People didn't laugh at LeBron James when he's sitting there crying during the moment of silence for Kobe Bryant. They felt it with him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something we always... Need to remember. And then, of course, finally, our, our thoughts, of course, go out to, to Vanessa Bryant, the wife of Kobe Bryant, the mother of his children, and the other three daughters that she has that are now going to deal with something that all our families deal with on a daily basis. And that is the loss of a child and even the loss of her husband and their father. So our thoughts do go out to them as well. Very tragic. So you are in our prayers. And yeah. we have definitely been thinking and talking about you guys. Yeah. At Race for Owen. That's right. Good uh, and and good luck and God bless you as you try and go out there and do this grieving process in a very very public way, mm -hmm. which will be hard uh, hard some days for for her to be able to do. No kidding. Um, no good no good way to transition into upcoming events, but uh, upcoming events we still have the dinner and auction on April twenty fifth. We will also have some news on a possible beneficiary event later on this month or early in March. Ooh, By exciting. The, yes. By the way, folks, if you are interested in contributing to the dinner and auction, maybe you uh, are a guest and you, you want to contribute more or you can't make it and you want to you want to still contribute something to to the dinner and auction. We are taking in-kind donations for any silent auction baskets. Uh, if you are able to do that, all that money raised helps us keep the operations going, helps us keep this podcast going, helps us do all that sort of different stuff. So if that's something you're interested in, go ahead and contact the office. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and review us because the more you do that, the more people are going to find us. Um, yes. So thank you very much for taking a listen to this particular podcast. We know that this wasn't something that we had planned on doing right now, but we figured at the time it was probably a pretty good thing. Yeah. So thank you very much, and we will uh, talk to you next week. Yeah, thank you very much. 